Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's 2020. We may not have flying cars, but we have magical communication devices we carry everywhere. They've changed how messages get out quickly and effectively, but go back 2,000 years. How would you spread a message then? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, The Book of Acts, Growth Against All Odds, with the second part of this sermon entitled, Promises Kept, which covers Acts chapter 2. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the book of Acts again for this second week of our series. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Uh, for the great privilege that we have each week to gather. Thank you for the, the joy it is to open your word. Uh, we ask as we open your scriptures and as you lead us during this time, would you press the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are deep into our hearts and into our minds that we would not walk away with just understanding, a better understanding of the text, but that our hearts would be changed, that we would be changed having met with you. So Lord, we ask that you would do that, uh, that you would uh, bring great glory to yourself during these next few minutes together. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. So I want you to go back with me. I want you to go back to somewhere around what was probably 30 AD. And it was a significant day in Jerusalem. It was a significant day because it was Pentecost. Pentecost is one of three major annual Jewish feasts, uh, along with Passover and the Feast of Booze, that God's people would have gathered together, would have pilgrimaged together to Jerusalem, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people to celebrate Pentecost. And Pentecost literally means 50th day, 50th day. And what that means is it's notifying the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover. When God's people would gather together, Pentecost was also known known as the the Feast of Harvest, as they would celebrate God's harvest of grain at that point in time in the year. It was also sometimes called the Feast of Weeks. But it was most commonly called Pentecost. And on this significant day in what was maybe AD 30, somewhere in there, give or take a year, I think that Pentecost day felt a little different. I think there was a a little buzz in the city of Jerusalem that was perhaps not there previously in in years past. I think there was maybe a sense of excitement, but also one of confusion. I think you probably heard questions going around like this. Do you think he was really the Messiah? Do you think that, do you think he really rose from the dead? You know, there, there, there are a there are some people, kind of a small group, but growing, who, who believe he was the Messiah and that he did raise from the dead. Because let me be clear, this Pentecost 50th day is not just the 50th day from the Sabbath of Passover. Let me be specific. It's the 50th day since Jesus' resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead and he stayed on earth there for 40 days, appearing, as the scriptures tell us, to over 500 people. And then on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven, as we talked a little bit about last week, as Luke records for for us in Acts chapter 1. And then there was this 10-day gap between when Jesus ascended and this day, Pentecost. And so you uh, you had these followers of Jesus, 
And it was growing, but it was small. Acts 1.15 tells us that it was about 120 people, both men and women at this point. And they were waiting. They were obeying Jesus. Jesus had told them, await the promised Holy Spirit. Stay here in Jerusalem. Don't go back to where you're from. Stay here and await the promised Holy Spirit. And so that's what they're doing. But they're not just sitting around waiting, twiddling their thumbs. They're praying. Acts 1 tells us that uh, that they are praying as they wait. And as they're praying in the upper room, where they're gathered awaiting for the promised Holy Spirit, they take care of some business as well. Peter at one point stands and leads them in replacing Judas Iscariot. Uh, They want to be consistent with what God originally called to be, what Jesus originally called as the 12 disciples. And so now they're down to 11 after Judas had betrayed Jesus and then hung himself out of great guilt and shame. And so they begin to say, we need to find someone who has been a follower with Christ, with us from the very beginning, from the baptism of John until the ascension of Christ just 10 days ago. So um, we need to figure out who this would be. And so they narrowed it down to these two guys and then they prayed and they said, God, you knowing the hearts of men, who should be this 12th to lead the church? And they picked this guy, Matthias. And that's kind of the end of chapter one. They've picked the 12th disciple. They're praying. They're waiting. And then it happens. One of the most significant occurrences in the life of the church in all of human history happens. You know, we talk a lot in church about the crucifixion of Jesus, and appropriately, obviously so. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus on which all of our faith hangs. If there is no resurrection, then we of all people are to be pitied. And so, appropriately so, but somewhere along the way, we somehow have lost a little bit of grip on the importance of what happened 50 days after that resurrection when uh, Jesus pours out his spirit. Because when that happened, everything changed. Here's what I want to do this morning, a little different than what we typically do. A lot of times, we'll just take a passage of scripture, seven or eight verses long, and we'll teach through it. And then we'll give you a broader context of what's happening around it. But Acts chapter two is one of those chapters in the Bible that I don't think you just pick a chunk of. I think you just read it. And we just ask God, God, as we read, as we sit hearing the word of God read over us, would you speak? Some of you are already looking in your Bibles and going, oh, oh man, that's a long chapter. He's going to be reading for a while, and the answer is yes, I will be reading for a while, but here's what I want you to do. I want you, to the best of your ability, to go there, to be there, to be in Jerusalem on that day, to imagine the smells, to to act as though you're hearing Peter's voice when he starts to speak, um, that you're feeling the buzz in Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands of Jewish people gathered for Pentecost, and you're there, and you're hearing these words as though you're present. So I want you as best you can to go there as you hear and read with me the Word of God. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly, pay attention to that word, suddenly there came from heaven 
a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the ones who seemed to have it together mostly, not just the ones who had the best quiet time that morning, not just the ones who uh, seemed to be the ones that never make mistakes or sin, and every single one of them who believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and were awaiting for this moment, every one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse five, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the sound of the rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Imagine that. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They viewed the Galileans as the rednecks of Israel. They didn't think they were educated. They couldn't believe that these people who they see below them were doing what they were doing. Verse 8, and how is it that we, that we hear each one of us in his own language, native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those who've converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our tongues, our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. (laughs) But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I want you to pay attention to how many times Peter references the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, to say to this Jewish people, who would have known the Old Testament, Jesus is the one you've been longing for, the long-promised Messiah. Joel, from from Joel chapter 2, he says this, verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. This prophecy from Joel is both being fulfilled on that day of Pentecost and fully fulfilled when Christ returns. And then verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, 
Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It's important to just make a quick note about what seems to be contradictory of the sovereign plan, the definite plan of God and the responsibility of man and how those fit together in ways that we can't fully understand. Verse 24, God raised him up. He raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Why? Because David, David told us this would happen. David says concerning him from Psalm, 1, from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I, may not, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, to David, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He has done it. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, this is from Psalm 110, and in the Hebrew it reads, Yahweh said to my Adonai, literally Yahweh, the Father said to the Son, to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, our covenant-keeping God. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Let me pray. God, may you bless, as only you can, may you bless the reading and the teaching of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you three things, and then I'll give you one at the end, but three for now. Three significant fulfilled promises that we see here in Acts chapter 2. And if you were with us last week, you, you may have noticed that I entitled last week's sermon, Promises Kept, Part 1. This week is Promises Kept, Part 2. The promise in chapter 1 that we looked at last week was the promise that Jesus had said, like I've already alluded to, that to stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere, and await the promised Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, chapter 2 is really where we begin to see so many of the promises of God from the Old Testament, from the prophets of old, coming to fruition and being fulfilled right here on that day in the midst of God's people. So I want to give you three of those right now. The first one is this. I want you to just notice God's sovereign timing and plan. I mentioned to you that Pentecost literally means the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover, after the the resurrection of Jesus. And if you were to go back to Exodus 19 and 20 and you were to read about um, the exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt, you would see that God was manifesting himself in a unique way at that point in time. Moses had ascended up to the top of Mount Sinai, and as you read that account, you're going to notice that God is revealing himself in some pretty unique ways that were terrifying to God's people. There was wind, there was fire, and there was the utterance or the voice of God. Now, in the first century... Jews had begun to associate Pentecost more and more with the giving of God's law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on that day. And their tradition held, their history held that that happened 50 days after God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, after he had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. Maybe you're starting to put some connections together of where the Jewish people would have very much known the history of their, one of their uh, patriarchs, one of the ones that they said, this is when God moved mightily among us, and we celebrate it to this day. It was 50 days after deliverance from slavery to Egypt that God spoke, and he did so with wind and fire as he wrote the commandments of God etched on stone. And then all of a sudden, here we are, where a mighty wind blows so loud that the multitudes come together wondering what it is. And so there's wind, there's fire that looks like fires of tongue that are sitting upon and over every one of God's people. So there's fire. And then what are they doing? They're uttering the voice of God. They are, the voice of God is coming out of them to where the Jewish people would have begun to connect some dots and go, okay, hold on, something significant is happening here. And we're able to look back now and we're able to see Oh, my God is not just doing something that is coincidental. He's doing something incredibly purposeful to where he's saying that in, in just the same way that 50 days after I delivered my people from the slavery of Egypt, I etched onto stone the law that helps them see and know me better. 
but in a much fuller way, in a much greater way, in a much more profound way. I'm going to manifest, manifest myself in a similar way, but this time it's going to be 50 days after deliverance, not from slavery to Egypt, but from slavery to sin itself. And this time I'm not going to etch it onto stone tablets, but I'm going to etch it onto the very hearts of man and woman as I pour out my spirit upon them. This is why Paul was able to say in Romans 8, 2, that it's the law of the spirit of life that has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law is good, and the law showed us who God was in those Ten Commandments and all of the Mosaic law. But the law ultimately penalized us because it showed us our sin, and we were under the heavy weight of the law, but when the Spirit was poured out, the Spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. And God, as he manifested himself in in fire and in wind and with the utterance of his voice through his people, something new had begun. Something more profound than God's people and prophets could have ever even imagined. Second thing I want you to see is that his Spirit fills the temple of God, which is his people now. The prophets of old, they had made another promise. They had said that God would come and live through his spirit in the new temple of the messianic kingdom. So when this Messiah would come as king, there would be this new temple and that God would live and, and through his spirit in this new temple. But uh, what, we're, what we're seeing here is that the wind and fire also eluded them back to those images, right? He's it's, it's this image of, of the tabernacle and the temple of God in the Old Testament at various places that, that we see where the fiery presence of God is filling the temple. And of course, the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple behind the Holy of Holies and the Spirit of God dwelt there and no one could go in but the high priest. But now we have a greater high priest who has come, who has entered into the Holy of Holies and he has made available the fiery presence of God not just to a building to be held behind a curtain but to all people to be possessed to where now we are the new temple of God, to where God's people were waiting for this new building to be built or to, to come in in such a way to where the presence of God would be, would be held in its fiery existence. But now God is saying, look, I'm putting these tongues of fire these things that look like fire over you so that you will see now that you, the people of God, are the new temple of God and you possess within you the fiery presence of God and that's for every single one of us, every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus. No matter how much you may feel like the Spirit must not be present in your life, if you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you have his Spirit dwelling within you You have the Spirit of God enabling you, empowering you, the fiery, if you will, presence of God pouring out of you to do what only he can do for his glory. You know, you may ask the question, well, what about people in the Old Testament? What was salvation? How, How were you saved in the Old Testament? Did people back then, if they believed, did they have the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Salvation has always been the same. Salvation in the Old Testament is, was by faith in the promised Messiah, just as it is today, by faith in the, in, the, in the Messiah who came and fulfilled that promise. And it was harder in the Old Testament, though. It was though uh, the people of God were seeing through a foggy glass, you know, dimly lit, 
seeing this promised Messiah, they understood, they were understanding that the law couldn't save them, that the law showed them the heart of God, but that they could never live it out, and so they were seeing, there's one who's coming who will rescue me. Uh, and so I, believed in, I believe in that promised one, and when they would believe, they would be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, just like we are today. But in the New Testament, in the new covenant of the blood of Christ, it's more profound. It's more full. We too are indwelt with the Holy Spirit when we believe upon Christ. But in a more full expression, a fuller expression of what that is, because Christ has defeated death and he has poured out his spirit in a way that the believers of old never knew. What happened on Pentecost was tremendous. Everything changed. People began, the people of God began to experience the indwelling power of God in them through his spirit in ways never known before and that are still true to this day. The third thing I want you to see is that the announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God was now to all nations. Did you see it there in, in verse five? It says, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This is a great fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The prophets had also promised that when God came to dwell in his new temple, that he would reunify the, tw the 12 tribes of Israel under this new messianic king. So I want you to remember, I want you to think back. You may not know this history, so tune in if you've tuned out. Because this is important to understand, God's people had really not had a home for over 500 years, a land to be in. They had been dispersed, they had been first conquered by the Assyrians and dispersed all the northern tribes and separated into all various different types of land. And then in, the, um, uh, in 586, the Babylonians came in a third time and ransacked and pillaged Jer Jerusalem and took two-thirds of God's people away to Babylon. And then when they came back, uh, many years later, it was, it was still dispersed to where you had Jews living in Jerusalem, but you had Jewish people living all over the known world. And so for the better part of 400 to 500 years, God's people were living in different places in different countries and different nations under different rule and kingdoms. And so they adopted different languages. They inherited different cultures. They became ethnically, so to speak, different people. So that oftentimes when these big annual feasts would happen, you would have Jews coming from all over the known world pilgrimaging to Jerusalem to take part in things like Pentecost and Passover and Feast of Booths, and you'd have all these people here who don't speak the same language nor uh, kind of possess the same culture. They would have a little bit of unity along the practice of their religion, but even that was getting watered down to where there was great division. And they knew the promise of God. They knew that God had promised that when the Messiah King comes that he's going to reunify the tribes. But they had no idea what that meant. They thought it was a national reunification of the people of God back in Jerusalem. And what God had in store was so much greater and better than that. Because he's saying to them, what's happening on Pentecost now is that now that all the nations are gathered, I'm going to speak in a language that all understand. And I'm going to bring unity to all nations across all ethnic lines, across all nationalities, across all cultural barriers. And we are going to move together as a people of God, possessing his spirit into something new and different and unified to the glory of God. 
And they didn't get all that then, but we get to see it and understand it more as the church has progressed and as we study the scriptures more and more and we see that God, in more ways than we could probably ever reason and ration on our own, is fulfilling every promise of the Old Testament that the Jews had longed for for so long and it's yes and amen in one person, Jesus. I love podcasts. Uh, dare I say I might be addicted to podcasts. I have, a, I have a bit of a drive on the way into the church each morning and evening on my way home. And so a lot of, I've actually grown to love that time because it's time alone in the car for me to get my wits about me to pray. And then I love listening to podcasts during that time as well. And I love all kinds of podcasts. I listen to, you know, Christian and theology podcasts. I listen to sports and, and current events and history. I love history and but by far and away, my favorite type of podcast to listen to is true crime. <laughs> I'm guilty. Serial, up and vanished, in the dark, culpable, to live and die in L.A., all those. I think I'm getting old, though, because my favorite one is Dateline. Um, I don't know. I think of Dateline. I think that's just what my parents and people older than them watched when I was younger. So I'm there now. Um, but it's not just the true crime ones. It's, it's a lot of the podcasts I listen to across a varying degree of categories and genres. I become more convinced of something that I was convinced of before, but I am just absolutely convinced of it now, and that's this. This world is so deeply and tragically broken and divided. And you go, yeah, I mean, we know this. I don't have to convince you of that. We know this to be true. But I just think it's this. I think it's the reality of the more socially connected we become, the more informed we become, the more we just feel that being pressed in deeper and deeper. And we say, oh, my goodness, this place is messed up. And we are messed up. But I want you to hear something. It was the same way on that Pentecost day almost 2,000 years ago. It was the same. People have been, it's always been deeply and tragically broken. It's always been deeply and tragically divided. And God's people then are just like God's people now. And all of humanity then is just like all of humanity now in that we're, we're longing for the same thing. We're longing for hope. Is there a solution? Is there something or someone who can bring unity, who can bring newness, who can bring hope, who can bring life, who can bring satisfaction, who can bring something that I don't even know how to put words to, but there has to be something. And so what do we do? We run to this and that and, and read this and, and talk about this and everything that we run to, it only leaves us feeling more and more dissatisfied because it's not it. And so we turn on the TV and we, we see these people who supposedly represent our culture because they act in movies and they win these awards and they stand with their award and they stand in front of the microphone and they tell us why we should believe in their agenda because in it there is so much hope and we go, that ain't it. I, I just don't think that's it. What is it? And what Acts 2 tells us is Acts 2 tells us that the solution the answer is Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's the simple answer when you're in church, but it's the answer. And it's not just the answer for inside of these walls. It's the answer for every aspect of life outside of these walls. And what happened on Pentecost is continuing to happen today. His church has not slowed down. The fiery presence of God has not gone out. It still exists within his people. The only issue is most of us don't realize it. 
And we don't believe that the fiery presence of God dwells within us. And we don't believe that he can use us in the same manner that he did the early church. And he says, but I long to. I want my people to see that Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. Jesus is the only one who can do what he has done and what we most long for. Because here's the big takeaway of Acts chapter 2. Here's the last thing I want you to see. What Jesus is doing in Acts chapter 2 is the Lord over all, as he pours out his spirit, is he's reversing the curse of Babel. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 11, you're going to read about what happened when the, the people who walked the face of the earth back then became so prideful, so arrogant, as they believed that they could ascend to God. And God, in his judgment upon them, he, he tore down the tower and he dispersed them, scattered them out throughout the whole world. And he confused their languages. He brought chaos and confusion into their existence as a result of their sin. You see what's happening in Acts chapter 2? The Messiah has come. The promised one of God has come. And so what he's doing is he's actually turning that back out. And he's saying, the only one who can bring clarity to confusion is Jesus. The Spirit of God himself. Do you see it? Like, they're all speaking these different languages and there's no confusion now. They're all hearing the same gospel message in their own language. Where there used to be confusion, there's clarity. What used to feel like chaos is starting to feel like calmness. What used to feel like disunity is actually starting to feel a bit more like unity. What used to feel like brokenness is, is starting to feel like healing. And did you see it in in the manifestation of the community of God in, in verses 42 through 47, the Spirit of God is full within them and they are under the Lordship of Jesus and weird things are beginning to happen. It's a weird community, I'm gonna be honest. We just, we look at it and we go, that ain't realistic. But it, under the Lordship of Christ, through the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit, it is. It's a community that is uniquely different, sharing all things in common, breaking bread together, praying together, loving each other in a way to where the world looks at it and goes, it wasn't the speech from the actor from the Golden Globes that had the answer, it was Jesus and his people all along. That's it, that's what I've been longing for. And did you see the very last verse of chapter two? And day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. Why? Because the people of God, under the lordship of Jesus, under the full expression of the fiery presence of God and the Holy Spirit through them, were an attractive community to the world around them. Do you long do you long for that? It's what the church is to be. It's who we are. You know, when Peter finished his sermon, they asked him, they were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we do? What are we to do? All of chapter two up until that point had been indicative. It had been explanatory. This is what had happened. And all of a sudden, it changes on that one verse. and It became imperative. This is what you were to do. You want to know what to do in response to this Jesus? Repent. Repent 
and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want forgiveness? It's only found in Jesus. You want something new and profound, a new community, a new reality, a new life? It's only found in Jesus. You want to see something happening that is literally changing the world, that is making all things new? It's only found in Jesus. And I just know with this many people in a room this large and with the many others who are watching live stream and other, other venues, there are many in this room, there are many watching who have resisted Christ for quite a long time thinking there must be something different. I don't know about all that religious stuff. And today's the day that God says, I want to pour out my spirit into you. And you drop those hands of resistance and you repent. And you believe upon Jesus. And you experience life as it was intended to be under his lordship. And you find what you've always been looking for. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, the great joy it is to be with your people in your presence. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for leading us this morning in your word. We do ask and pray that you would breathe the fullness of your Holy Spirit into us. We, we pray that we would know and believe that you, uh, that you empower us. You fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to do things that only you can do to change the world as you change our lives. What a great vision you have given us with eyes fixed on Jesus. We thank you. In his name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.